Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Momenta Edge podcast. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner. And today we have Kate Mitchell, who is co-founder and CEO of Edge Intelligence, joining us. Hi, Kate. Hello, Ed. It's, it's great to have you. So what we'd like to do is to explore. Uh, Kate has a really interesting background in technology as, uh, as an investor, as, a, uh, as an executive, as a uh, leader in innovation. And we'd like to talk about what you're doing now and then also go into some of the context that's really brought you to, to focus on uh, edge intelligence. So, so, Kate, tell us a little bit about what, uh, what edge intelligence is doing doing? Edge intelligence is actually an evolution of an idea that we came up with about nine years ago. Uh, and that was really around the core of how do you get analytics in a way that is useful for any business executive, any user, to make it much more timely and much more accessible. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, it comes from the from the 1970s, really, where you had um, where, where everything was centralized and architectures were somewhat rigid, and reporting at that time, for instance, was actually um, monthly, and you hadn't the internet hadn't been invented, and so many things had changed over time that the underlying architectures, data. Um, row architectures for databases and column architectures really don't solve the problem um, given the, the tremendous volume of data and the democratization and the decentralization of data. So we came up with the idea that there had to be a better way to do analytics. And that's when we really started out focusing on the database component and what's the fundamental way that you store and access data that would make it much more accessible and would handle and easily scale to the volumes that we see today. So that, that's where it all began. No, that's great, and that's really that really hits on a, uh, in many respects, the holy grail of connected industry trying to extract value from the data get, that's, that gets generated by all of these billions of devices that are that are connected and uh, complex systems and and be able to get the right information to the right people at the right time so uh, you have a really interesting background and when we spoke before we initially connected around our uh, edge intelligence or intelligent edge rather uh, webinar and right. it was uh, quite the uh, it, Appropriate mix of, of topics and names, but uh, when we spoke, you, uh, you 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 told me a bit about your background. And I thought it was really fascinating to uh, to hear a bit about where what you've done in the past and and how that's really brought you to you know to to focus on on the problems that that you're addressing with edge intelligence. Could, tell us a little bit about your your background. 
Well, it started really at IBM and typical sales and marketing uh, branch manager uh, working for the chairman of IBM, uh, running an industry organization where we, we the, the whole goal was to figure out how do you handle information. And, of course, this was in the earlier years and going back to the late 70s and the 1980s and, and figuring out. How, how do customers across a broad range of industries put data to work? How do they how do they access it? How do they get insight from it? How do they take action? Uh, and then after about 14 years there, great, great time at IBM, I decided it was time to go do something uh, a little more entrepreneurial and went out to California and worked, uh, again, it was one of the first analytics um, companies focused on analytics as metaphor computer systems. And actually, there were no, at the time, there were no um, PCs that were appropriate, that were affordable. So the company, when I joined them, they were making hardware uh, as well as the analytics software, uh, working closely with IBM uh, at the time. And in fact, uh, ultimately, IBM bought that company. And then I said, well, I, I really like being out on the West Coast. Um, let me see what else is here. And I ended up getting hired uh, at at Oracle, so I was hired to to be to run marketing there. I did that for a number of years, and so it really became immersed and focused on on data. Uh, so this this theme of how do you manage um, major implementations, and and then how do applications? How do you start to think? What are the applications that need to be written? What's the logic uh, of surrounding the capture of data and providing ultimately not just the the these, the systems that are sort of the transact, transaction or operational systems, which are, of course, a key requirement, but how do you, after you're capturing all that data, how do you make sense of that? And the whole idea of a separate analytic system and data warehouses certainly you know, became the main theme. And, and still with us today, decades later, that, that many people still get their information from what's become a somewhat you know, rigid data warehouse. And I think that, that, you know, our view at Edge Intelligence is it's really time for this democratization of data and make it useful to anybody at any time um, and very accessible, very agile too, because you don't always know when you're when you're starting something, you don't know what the data is going to look like five years from now. You don't know what the queries are going to look like. So ideally, you want a system that gives you hides all of that complexity and and takes care of all that for you so you can focus on running the business and and uh, improving your business so you were you were at Oracle at a uh, pretty pivotal time in the in the database market and anybody who's studied the dyna competitive dynamics of technology for instance you know looking at uh, Jeffrey Moore's work on crossing the chasm in the gorilla right. game for instance I mean that's that, right. that was a that was a seminal time in the development of the software industry and you had an up close view of what was going on in the in the database market which has become that really that classic example of where you had one company Oracle that ends up really dominating and becoming the gorilla in the market what what, what were some of the lessons that you learned or or, or any parallels from the the competitive landscape in that time that uh, that are relevant today and were the, you know were there any uh, any actions that Oracle took 
while you were there that really stick out, stand out in your mind that, that really helped them prevail over all the competition, the Informics and Red Bricks and Cybases of the, of the world that were, that were all vying for, for a piece of that, that growing pie? Yeah, it's funny uh, you mentioned Jeffrey Moore because this was before he I mean, he, had, he had written the book, Crossing the Chasm, but he wasn't quite the household name that he has become. And I was able to have him lead one of my planning meetings. I had, uh, I had executives from around the world that ran marketing in various countries and, and regions. And, and Jeffrey came in to, to run the, the session for us. And we, we looked at, at, at the time, it was such a competitive space. I mean, we were, we spent a lot of our time and I, I spent a lot of my advertising dollars uh, going after Sybase. And, and it was all about performance at the time. And of course, uh, Larry always loved um, performance, and he was the consummate marketer. I mean, it, it, in some ways, it was a lot of fun because here's a guy who who said, "I hate marketing. Keep it away from me." And yet, he wanted to be in any meeting that was strategic, where we were talking about you know direction. He always owned the product strategy. He never, there was no doubt in anybody's mind, he owned the product strategy. But in terms of the marketing dollars and where were we going to focus our attention and who were the real uh, competitors. And as I said at the time, it was it was all about performance. Uh, it was all about leapfrogging, you know, from a technology standpoint. And Sybase was clearly in the in the sites. But Informex at the time, hard to believe it now, uh, Informex had some pretty amazing uh, software. And, and so from a performance standpoint, we always thought that Informex might turn out to be uh, one of the companies that really uh, was a major competitor, but I think I think one of the things I learned, or a couple of things I learned, there was there's there's no substitution for just that passion about what, what you're doing, and you know even at the time, Larry reading resumes of people that were about to be made job offers, even relatively low uh, entry level employees, he just felt so passionate about this company that he had built, and um, and it all revolved around. Uh, are you going to be extremely competent and, and carry out the vision that we have, whether you're developing the product or supporting the product or selling the product or marketing the product? Uh, just really focus on, I'm going to build this company into the leader and the world-class organization. And, and also, coupled with that, this, this focus on the competition. And it's, I think it's, it's what drives every company today is, you know, who are my competitors and how can I outsmart them? And so, in so many places, uh, interestingly, obviously for a database software company, that's a core uh, uh, component that you're looking to, to make better than the other guy. Um, but for every organization I think of, or even government, public service entities, public sector entities, it's all about how do I understand my business so I can improve it? And whether that's how do I get more creative so I get a bigger share of the pie from a revenue perspective, or how do I get more creative, I get cost out, I'm really smart there and I become the low cost leader so my profits are growing nicely, or how do I provide the best customer service that's out there so that um, I can avoid churn and, and mobile providers, you know, people will like my services, they'll like the quality of the service and they'll like the pricing and they'll like the packaging and what they can buy. And that, that sort of that maniacal focus on what do I do to make my business better, it, to me, it was a great lesson. It all comes down to data. How do I use data? 
It's a great point that you make there that it ultimately ties into customer satisfaction. And I think what's notable, you, you had just called out how Larry was very much focused on performance as an aspect of marketing. And I think, you know, as I've listened to him over the years as well, he's he is very much, uh, I think he naturally gravitates toward touting the the performance of a database because when your when your customers are IT buyers and and database administrators they obviously are going to want to get the best performance for their dollars and it and it becomes very much of a technical sale but as you alluded to right at the beginning of our conversation analytics is about business value and getting to the the business user and that's a different type of sale i mean going back to the uh really to the genesis of, of data warehousing and uh, executive information systems and then the emergence of, of business intelligence, you know, how did you see that tension play out, the focus on getting the technical aspects of a solution right with, with the database, appealing to the IT people, but then, you know, how did that that messaging to business people uh, play out effectively, and it, were, what kind of challenges did you see in the market uh, as you know as as this as this has evolved? Well, in the beginning, of course, um, you think about the database; those were companies that were built, and that's what they did. They offered databases, and then we we and and the, the competitors realized there are companies out there that are that are offering applications and now that they need the database underneath that to, to drive the application and and I remember uh, at the time SAP was a great example because um, they were getting a lot of their revenue from the applications but they were they were we said at the time we need to be in the applications business and of course that was the beginning of a whole new wave of investment and 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 you know a product suite uh, a portfolio that you we could offer that that said it's not just about the database. The database is, of course, the enabling technology. It's a core component of the infrastructure, but it really comes down to what's the application uh, that that will drive the, the the database and that will deliver the results that are needed. And and furthermore, so so suddenly you saw some companies moving from being just purely database companies to saying I'm going to add the applications on top. But it, it really comes back to there's the, the transaction, the operational system on one side, and capturing all that data, and it powers every company and government entity today. Uh, and then there's the other side, which is the analytics side, and that's always viewed as sort of secondary, although I think over time it's it's been viewed as, as a is much more important to get the insights from that data uh, and be able to do it in a way that is uh, easy to do and can be done in real time. Uh, and I think that the the whole concept of the Internet of Things is changing that dramatically as well because suddenly you're, you're dealing with um, 20, 30, 40 billion IoT devices being connected, 600 uh, zettabytes of data from IoT being generated every year, and you just can't say, all right, business as usual, we're going to move all this data that's being generated to a highly centralized database, and then we're going to perform analytics, you know, getting all that data from the where it begins life out at the edge, at the factory floor or the hospital uh, or the uh, aircraft carrier or whatever. We're going to bring all that data back to either the central 
data center or, or to a cloud, uh, that just doesn't make sense. So that's really what we're looking at now is how do you, how do you make that tremendous jump from redefining data that you normally deal with in one of your large corporate or multiple large corporate data centers, enhancing that with data that you actually uh, keep in the cloud. And that next, the next step is, and what, what about the data that, that is at the perimeter of your organization? Maybe it's even a virtual perimeter, but it's out there. It's in every, it's in every remote location, every retail store, every branch office of a bank, every factory. How do I, how do I treat that as if I still have control and it's all physically resident within my, my corporate data center or in the cloud? That's really where the challenge comes in and hence, you know, our evolution as a company from thinking about how do you just do analytics better with a with a, a way you store and access data in a very agile way with highly, highly scalable, uh, where we've extended that in the last uh, 18 months to say, how do you how do you think about networking all that data and securing it, whether it's at rest or in flight, so that that data can reside anywhere in the network and without physically having to move it, and you can reach out to, to do analytics to it or to do distributed machine learning, for instance, leaving it right where it begins life and getting away from all the concerns about latency or costs of moving it or privacy or geopolitical concerns that come into to play when you're talking about moving that data from its origination point. Absolutely. What's what's been so interesting too is we as we kind of fast forward through the, the a couple of decades after the the uh, original you know, database wars as we saw the applications turn into these stacks and and over time you had more and more analytics that would get embedded into a a stack where you'd have Microsoft and SAP and uh, IBM to a lesser extent although they were not as heavy on the on the application side and Oracle basically arguing that the the way to go was to have analytics that were embedded in, in your applications and have that integrated stack. But then as you move into more of a, uh, a cloud model, then the you, 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 uh, you, customers don't want to be beholden to that single vendor to, to the same extent. And you got this... Uh, Essentially, a centralization of architecture with with this with this cloud model, and uh, of course the. Uh, decline in cost of sensors and processing and and edge devices the the ability to instrument these physical processes does create a, a far more distributed environment so you know as as now as we've gone to a a cloud en environment you uh you had started edge intelligence a, a few years back but um th when we think back to around 2006 2007 the the rise of big table and uh Hadoop came emerged around 2009. We've seen this. Mm. We've seen this whole emergence of a lot of different types of databases, which That's is, right. in a sense, it's it. We had this consolidation uh, around a few data, a few of these uh, relational databases, and then all of a sudden there was this this explosion of innovation. I'd love to get your thoughts on you know that how that uh, what drove the market to evolve like that, and and how you see that parallel with the explosion of, of software as a service and, and, and cloud and the, and the types of challenges that that's presented to, to companies in the market trying to figure out the right solution for the, for the right problem. 
Yeah, I, I think the kind of the rise of the the no sequel, which people some people think means no sequel, it means not only sequel. Uh, I, I think the the rise of that was really um, because of the explosion in the volume of data. Relational databases simply weren't appropriate for that. You didn't need all that referential integrity and two-phase commit to make sure that every single thing was precisely um, as it should be. Otherwise, it got rolled back, and, and which you need to have in financial transactions, of course. You don't need that when it's when a lot of the data is social media and so forth. So, so I think that the the idea with the, the NoSQL databases, including Hadoop, emerged with the idea that well, we're, there's a whole different type of data, and uh, and not only that, it's it, the purposes that it's being used for are completely different. So we've got to come up with alternate views of how we're going to create databases, how we're going to store it, access it, process it. Uh, and I think at least for, for businesses and many big government entities, what we started to see is that um, even with something like Impala on Cloudera, the realization that, wow, I've got to be able to handle that structured uh, uh, query language, and, I've, I've, and there's a demand for that. So our, our view all along is, look, the important thing is how do you um, ingest data at network speed? If you just think about what are the requirements for analytics today, uh, you've you got to be able to ingest the data at network speed um, process the sort of complex event, events in near real time um, and process them usually at the edge. Uh, you need to be able to store, it needs to be cost effective for storage, whether you're storing gigabytes, terabytes, or petabytes of data. Uh, it needs, you need to have a, just need to be thinking about um, small physical fo footprint. Uh, and you, sometimes, some, some use cases, you need to retain the data from a, a few minutes or hours to days, weeks, months. And the cloud model uh, does not really support that very well. It starts to get very expensive when you talk about keeping a lot of data for a long period of time. On the other hand, there are some, there are some analytics applications where the important patterns that you're looking for don't become evident with a, a relatively small slice of the data that's only retained for a short period of time. So we're, we're starting to see some of these requirements where um, even what some people would think of today is pretty advanced, some of the analytics you can do um, in the cloud. Actually, it's good for certain things, but there's a whole category of, of uh, use cases and applications that come back to, I, I don't want a subset of the data. I need all of it. I know I can't physically move it, uh, and I've got to find a way to cost affordably without big IT investments or database administrators, I got to be able to, to handle all of this in a distributed way, whether that's Internet of Things, whether it's network monitoring, whether it's predictive analytics, uh, security, surveillance, um, customer supplier analytics, including being able to look at your partners and being able to look through that supply chain and figure out where there might be bottlenecks or, or where you might need to, to make some changes. So. I think the nature of the, the, the systems generally reflect the nature of the business problem you're trying to solve. And I think what we've seen is this evolution over time from the from the central monolithic approach to a distributed approach to, you know, the, the rise of the, the, the cloud, the, the, the uh, AWS and Azure's of the world to saying I'm going to offload my corporate data. So I'm going to get the data that I want 
and accessible in the time frame that I need in a format that I need to make the decisions. People are going off and doing their own thing to now, wait a second, there are there are other ways to do this that are very affordable for lots of data, long term, uh, and and understanding that the, the idea of the central data warehouse, that concept really is is um, is dead, you know, from from all uh, from all vantage points. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the old Teradata model of the uh, the enterprise data warehouse, essentially, where you would have this master record. Where, of course, having a single view of the truth from a business standpoint is is critical. But this idea that you're going to be able to to access all of the to have all the analytics that that you need for all of these different business processes that are that are distributed are, are really it, it's really difficult to 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 manage that with the, the the latency challenges and the volumes of data that that are emerging so i have a question about applications and how uh how you see businesses needing to rethink how they architect their applications i mean we again it's this as the pendulum swings from centralized to decentralized to centralized which was we we can consider that cloud mobile model to be centralized mm. to mm. decentralized again uh how do, do you are are companies going to need to rethink and re-architect their applications, either their older applications, or is, does there need to be a new way to think about how you how you architect your new applications, really to to, to take into account the new the capabilities of, of being able to have some processing on the edge and and manage this entire continuum of processing and analytics uh, and data movement capabilities really across the full continuum. Yeah, I, th- I think that th- there are, if you, if you look at it from a vendor point of view, there are some vendors that with, with a legacy approach that, I mean, it's just not possible to get from where they are to where they'll need to be in, in three to five years. And they, and they struggle, I think, trying to trying to find ways to, to say, okay, now we'll, we also have a cloud approach. But I think when it comes to true um, being able to, to capture and access that data at the edge and retain it there so that you can look, you can do the analytics on data, whether it's a second old or a year old, um, I think that th- that kind of approach needs to start from the ground up. And, and our view is, of course, we're happy to work with application vendors to say, the, the big challenge there is what is the database uh, and data management underneath the, the application itself, underneath the logic that will help support that and drive that will, that will handle all of the requirements of that very fast network ingestion, which is something that, for instance, Hadoop is great at. Um, not so great at being able to slice and dice and find exactly what you want and get exactly what you want you know, out of, that, out of the, the data that's stored. Uh, give you the best of what um, would be for for forensic query the a row store where you would be looking for a needle in the haystack. Um, you normally you, a row store would be excellent for that, but but not very good at saying I want to look at all my subscribers in this postal code or zip code um, with this kind of demographic information, salary and so forth, number of children and where else they make purchases to figure out, touching all the data to figure out what kind of special pricing and packaging should I offer specific subscribers that are ready to make a change so that I, I avoid losing them. 
and so you look at the, the database really is at the heart of how do you support that application and and I think that some of the new, some, some of the existing application companies are working very hard to, to move their application, you know, into the current time and looking ahead to the source of the data is no longer a single source in a corporate enterprise and in a corporate data center. Uh, and even thinking that, well, maybe there's two sources. Maybe it's uh, a network of corporate data centers and a network of cloud data centers. That, that gets you to where a lot of customers are right now, but it doesn't get you three to five years ahead where some of the, the more innovative customers are pushing the boundaries and saying, this thing's got to be able to, to scale and it's got to be able to handle data anywhere in the world that makes sense to me as long as I can make it accessible uh, in real time and keep it indefinitely. That's what the future looks like, certainly for IoT and connected industry. And that's what I'm going to demand of my application and the underlying data management infrastructure that will support that. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to, to ask you more specifically about what edge intelligence is, is doing. And, and can you provide a bit of a little bit of context of, of the, the, the types of problems that 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 your technology is specifically well suited to address or uniquely, I should say, uniquely well suited to address? Well, it, it's interesting that it was really one of our um, largest customers in Asia, and this was when we were just one database before we had uh, enhanced the product and, and changed the name of the company. This is uh, going back a couple years, where the government entity was worried about uh, individuals and bad behavior in individuals. And so they had a sort of an old-fashioned way for monitoring that. And they said, you know, what we really want to do is we want to monitor individuals. We want to monitor not only their, their cell phone records, but we want to monitor their physical location. And so that data for, for 100 million plus uh, citizens is so voluminous that we can't actually bring that from the, tele, the telecommunication providers to a central site. So what we, what we really want is... We want to be able to leave all that data where it begins life at the, at the network providers, at the big telecommunication providers. We're going to leave it there, and we'll issue queries from a central site, and, and we'll issue it, and it'll go out across the network, and we'll only bring back the results. We'll only bring back the relevant information. And this has two benefits. Number one, it's not going to you know, burden the network and be hugely expensive and have huge latency. But secondly, it's really going to respect the privacy of law-abiding citizens. And so we, we implemented that with a small systems integration partner in Asia. The, they ask us not to talk about the name of the country because it's, it's, it's a stealth uh, implementation. But it's the largest one we have. And we looked at that and we said, you know, that starts to look like the Internet of Things where you've got data in, all, in, in many different places and you, you don't want to have to move all that data in order to get the insight. And so we, that's when we said, let's go build this next layer of capability on top of the product. Let's go build the orchestration and management of all of this data that can be, it can only managed from a single site, uh, but you don't have to move the data to, to a central site. And, you know, it, re it, it required some, some, you know, major new changes in, in technology in order to be able to say, you know, there's the processing side. We've got to be able to 
have network speed ingest, complex event processing, and near real time at the edge. There's the storage challenge of how do you how do you think about that? It goes from small amounts of storage up to enormous amounts. I mean, those are billions of transactions each day being kept for several years. That gets into petabyte size. Uh, you need a small physical footprint. Uh, you need um, to be autonomous. You don't. You can't deploy. Uh, technology savvy people at the edge in order to, to worry about that or maintain that system. It's got to be completely autonomous. And of course, the final thing is when you go to do the analytics, you want to be able to respond very quickly to any ad hoc query. Um, you want to be able to handle very large data sets, trillions of, of records. And maybe the most important thing is there's always a changing nature as your business evolves into what data you want to use and how you want to use it, how you want to analyze that. And you don't know what that is up front. You, you'd like to, to try and plan it, but in the old-fashioned way of that data warehouse, you really had to know what data am I using, you had to model it, then these are the types of queries I can do. Uh, and then getting fresh data into that data warehouse was always a challenge. That that's over. Now you want to be able to say, I'm going to deploy something and it's going to be very agile and handle any type of query and it will handle it, you know, very, very fast. And I don't have to go back and change anything as my data is evolving or I come up with new queries. Um, the, 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 you know, what I've installed here is completely agile and there's no there's no design work to be done by the user. Uh, and I think that's the way, that's the new standard for just make it easy to get at the data wherever it is, make it cost effective. And the, the, the key thing is make the analytics work for you. Bring the analytics to the data. Don't take the data to the analytics. I think that's really what will empower end users and allow them to, to find the, those areas where they can make changes and that company or government entity will operate, you know, in a far better way and be innovative on the edge and, and, and capture market share as a result. I think that's really the bottom line. Well, that's a real paradigm shift or a, uh, a change in mindset. And I'm interested to get your take on what you see as real challenges or hurdles or obstacles for this mindset or this approach to result in real, really successfully embracing all of the new technologies and, and the processes that are involved in, in realizing some of this, some of this, uh, some of the vision of, of essentially bringing the data to, to the user. What, what, are, what are big hurdles that, that you see, whether they're either technological, organizational, or cultural? Well, it, you always have the cultural um side of things you and you always have the the uh, early adopters people who have the mindset that says i'm going to go out there and take a risk and i'm going to explore and i'm going to find a new way to do things because I, we just can't do things effectively we've we've got as much you know scotch tape on this thing as we can and we've bolted on as many things as we can but it's just not going to handle our needs going forward so it's it's really those those innovative leaders that, that have to think about what, what are the business processes and, and how, I mean, IT has to, is no longer, oh, yeah, it's one thing we have to worry about. It's a cost we have to deal with. I mean, suddenly, you know, you, you've got to have this as the lifeblood of your company. And there's got to be that realization that, you know, the, the, the CIO 
uh, or your CTO doesn't doesn't report to your CFO. It's it's not a cost center to be managed. It reports right to the CEO, and every business leader uh, has to have a vested interest and has to be measured on uh, how are you going to do things differently as as the needs are changing, as the competitors are changing, uh, as as you know technology is changing. Uh, how are you going to do business differently? And what's it going to cost? And what are the expectations for what we can get out of that in in the six month time frame, the one year time frame, the eighteen month time frame? There's just there's sometimes I think a lot of us just say it's good enough. You know, we've gotten we've gotten to this point. It's good enough. Let's go just now. Take advantage of that and let's let's coast for a while. On, on the additional revenue we're getting, or or the additional profits because of the changes we've made, um, but that those days are over. Um, you can't you can't coast on that. Some good decisions that were made and some nice results. You got to be looking ahead constantly and saying, you know, this job is never over, and it only gets it only gets more difficult. But I I've got to be one of those people that is looking forward. And sometimes we say laughingly, living on the edge. Hmm. You know, that's you you got to be able to to sort of force yourself to look around to say, are there other things I could be doing that would give me better results without without the, the downside of trying every new thing that comes along and never, you know, really having a chance to to, to judiciously try things and, and make sure that they work before going on to the next thing. There's, that, there's always, you know, there's the fine balance that needs to be struck. Are, are there any tech, as you look forward, are there any technologies that uh, that really jump out at you as showing enormous promise uh, as we look to we just did a, a webinar recently on combinatorial innovations around AI and uh, augmented reality and 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 blockchain as uh, as as you look at at the evolution from the the evolution of, of analytics, business analytics, are, are there any innovations that are do you see as as really particularly promising? I think the whole the whole focus on obviously on AI and, and machine learning is uh, you know a component of that. Uh, and, and people I, i'm I'm happy to see how many mainstream companies are saying i'm I'm going to use blockchain. i'm going to I'm going to find a way to take advantage of that. Um, so I, I thought there'd be a lot more resistance to that. And so I think that that, that shows you that at, at least uh, many of the leaders today are saying, look, that's something that, that you know, it's, it's not, you know, there's some risk associated with it and it's not well defined. But I think that can redefine the way I deal with customers or suppliers. It can redefine my business and I'm going to embrace that. I think that um, that there are technologies right now that, that are not the point where you know they're on the scary edge or the bleeding edge uh, that can make a big difference and and I think it's 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 great to see companies taking advantage of that I think it comes back to are companies on their own able to do that or do they wait and take the lead from their preferred systems integrators that might have you know more experience at looking at a broad set of, of companies across their industry. Um, I, I think though those uh, systems integrators, they you know, part of their their life is exploring those new technologies and figuring out which ones will really make a difference and, and helping usher those into the general marketplace and getting companies comfortable that you know they're they're, they're not taking such a high risk. But I, I think we're just at the beginning of seeing 
the the innovation ahead of us, whether it comes from this idea with with the concept of IoT where, you know, all these connected devices letting you monitor everything in real time and take action, uh, or the artificial intelligence and, and you know, just moving toward how do you how do you get the, the ideal combination of, of people and machines and 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 resources um, so that you so that you re- you're basically reinventing industries you're reinventing companies and and uh, it's exciting to be part of that it's an exciting time to 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 be in the business it is no doubt and that's what we focus on and and we're passionate about at momenta so so kate this has been a, a terrific discussion i really want to pre- uh, appreciate your taking the time and and value your insights i think it's been enormously informative and i would you know, want to want to thank you for coming on Oh, thanks for the opportunity. I love working with Momenta guys. You guys are great. Terrific. Well, again, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner uh, with Momenta. And our guest today has been Kate Mitchell, co-founder and CEO of Edge Intelligence. Thank you for listening. And if you have any follow-up questions, uh, where, where, can, where can people find you, Kate? Uh, they can find me either at the website or they can find me if they um, want to chat quickly. You can ch- just shoot me an email, kate.mitchell at edgeintelligence.com. And anybody who wants to reach me can contact me at edge at momenta.partners. And we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook and, and all over social media. So thank you so much for the time. And we look forward to continuing our conversations. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.